You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we had a UFC fight night last weekend. We have another one coming up this weekend. We had a bunch of pretty gnarly shit go down at Bare Knuckle FC Knuckle Mania. So, that is kind of their whole brand, gnarly shit going down. Yeah, it is. Uh, we're going to talk about all that stuff this week. But first, I have a discussion question for you today to open up the show. <sighs> I feel like I know where this is going, but proceed. Are you ready? Yeah. The MMA Fighting Roundtable caught my eye over the weekend. I thought they had kind of an interesting question up for debate. And the question was this, who do you think is under more pressure for their UFC return? John Jones or Conor McGregor? What say you? Hmm. See here, I thought you were using this as an opportunity to hit me with some presidential facts. It is President's Day today. We sit here Monday, February the 20th, I believe, recording this episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. And in the past, I have taken this opportunity to delight both you and our listeners with presidential trivia. Uh, but, you know, I decided to take a year off. Decided to take a year off from presidential trivia. I don't believe you. I'm sitting here right now. I feel like you're lying to me. That's a lying-ass face you got on right now. I mean, there's no way to know except for to uh, matriculate our way through this episode, is there? <laughs> In answer to your question, I feel like John Jones is yeah. under more pressure because I feel like Conor McGregor could come back, get beat up by Michael Chandler, beat up by somebody else after that, and we go, well, hey, it was fun while it lasted. We never thought it was going to go all that far. It was a star shining very brightly in the night sky, but we also felt like... Part of the thing we were doing here was the the glittering of the star, not so much the heat coming off the star, not so much the that that this was going to be something that was going to be super important athletically in the sport. Because we've already seen Conor McGregor look weak, beatable, look like a guy who has not evolved, look like a guy who's been passed up by the game. That's already happened. It hasn't happened to John Jones yet, and John Jones sits here right now with a strong claim on being the best to ever do it. And obviously, even if you are the best to ever do it, that's not going to last forever. And if you take three years off and then you come back in a higher weight class, you might find that the time that it ended was sometime during the period where you were at home or sitting in a parked car outside a strip club. But it would be sort of like a a demarcation line where we would go, okay, the, the time where John Jones is arguably the greatest fighter in the world, if not the greatest fighter in the history of the sport, has ended. And we know because Cyril Gaon went in there and mopped up the floor with him, you know? Whereas Conor McGregor, if he goes in there and loses, it's like, well, hey, man, you bring a certain kind of party. There's a part of us that's happy to have that party back. But that party is not dependent on winning them all because you haven't been doing that. 
You already haven't been doing that. Yeah. And yet you're still enough of a celebrity that we care about you. John Jones doesn't have that. John Jones has to win them. John Jones is his whole thing is being super good at MMA and super good at messing up the rest of his life. And if you're not super good at MMA, that only leaves one thing. <laughs> Didn't he uh, shoot a gun out the window on that night that yeah. he was parked outside the strip club? That's, I do believe that is what attracted the police and alerted them to his presence. Uh, well, you know, the, the old uh, cliche in combat sports is that some nights or sometimes you get old in one night. A guy shows mm-hmm. up looking old all of a sudden. Uh, if John Jones loses to Cyril Gone, I will proffer that the night he got old was when he shot the gun out the window in front of the strip club. That was the night. He shot it out the window, and that was it. He got old right there. You're saying that as the bullet exited the gun and flew off into the Albuquerque night sky with it, Went John Jones's youth and vitality. It took John Jones's youth with it. Uh, I think I agree with you. I think John Jones is probably under the most pressure here. I think that our former colleague, Sean Alshadi, made a good point over on MMA fighting when he said that McGregor at this point may in fact be beyond the point where wins and losses really matter. Uh, whereas we've all been eagerly awaiting John Jones's debut at heavyweight for a long time. That said, I can kind of see a counterpoint too. Uh, Conor McGregor. He hasn't really won a meaningful fight since 2016, and he hasn't looked particularly good at welterweight either, which is the likely destination for this fight against Michael Chandler, even though they are technically both lightweights, uh, or were before Conor McGregor showed up looking like Lou Ferrigno at the world's strongest man in 1979. Uh, If he loses this one, he'll have lost three in a row. He'll have lost four of his last five. I feel like it will become increasingly difficult to justify his position as a guy who was just like perennially in and around the title picture, right? Like one win and oh, we'll have Connor fight Islam Mahachev. I feel like if you, if you lose this one to Michael Chandler, maybe those days are done. Although look, I perfectly well concede that these Connor McGregor type guys managed to keep themselves relevant long after I think that they should become irrelevant. So perhaps I'm jumping the gun. Yeah. And I guess part of my point is that even if that does happen, even if he loses Michael Chandler and we go, man, this guy just can't buy a win these days. The game has moved on and left him in the dust. Well, he can still fall back on being the wealthy whiskey pitch man who was also in a Jake Gyllenhaal movie. And uh, is going to go hang out on his yacht in between assault allegations. Yeah. So John Jones doesn't quite have the rest of that. John Jones has this, this world that he has dominated and been the best at. And when he loses that, he doesn't have all this other stuff that he also could fall back on. So, I mean, I'm not saying I'm worried about John Jones. that He's going to have to go get a job at Home Depot or something uh, if he he didn't beat Cyril Gaunt. But... He's his whole thing is way more tied up in winning them all. Sure. And you could, you you know, he could lose to Seal Gone and, you and he could come back afterwards and be like, hey, I, I, first fight at heavyweight. Uh, let me get my my feet under me here in this new division. But it's going to be a big one. It's going to be it's going to be the one that tells us mm, the time of John Jones dominating everybody, at least at this weight class and the other one might be over. Well, yeah, you talk about John Jones like he doesn't have a fallback. Isn't his fallback light heavyweight if he gets dinked and dunked by Cyril Gaon? Is he just sort of like, oh, I'll go back to 205 and beat whoever they got wearing my belt down there? Maybe. I mean, took an awful long time to get bulk up to heavyweight, though, didn't it? That's true. Yeah. So, 
I don't know. I don't know what kind of diet plan we got. I don't know if it's easier going one direction or the other. Personally, I've always felt it's easier going up, but <laughs> is that how you felt personally? I've granted I've been I probably using different methods yeah. than John Jones. Maybe John Jones different goals in mind. Maybe he can go see Dana White's doctor. He'll tell him what day he's gonna die, and then we'll put him on the keto diet. Next thing <laughs> you know, he'll be down there at the uh, at the performance center rocking his abs in the in some photos. Good thing to have those doctors. Hey, you're gonna die April 17th. Also, have you considered synthetic testosterone? Ben, did you know that William Howard Taft was the only U.S. president to serve as chief justice of the Supreme Court. Of course I knew that. Everybody knows that. William Howard Taft, so as they tell it, never really wanted to be president. He preferred law to politics and always aspired to serve on the Supreme Court. But his wife, who wanted to be first lady, had other ambitions for him. After four uncomfortable years as president, Taft left the White House and became a professor of law at Yale. In 1920, Taft finally realized his true dream when President Harding made him Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, a position he held until just before his death in 1930. You're going to tell me that the man's wife made him become president? I mean, he didn't even want to. I'm just telling you the tri- presidential trivia, you know? Just telling you how it's, how like, it's been told. He's to sitting me. there, he's trying to read his law books. And she's like, honey, when are you going to become president? And he's like, when I get around to it. And she's like, you know, just, just pestering him until finally he's like, all right, Dolores, you know what? Fine. Fine. I'll become president if it'll, if it'll make you happy. Now, see, at the risk of going on too long here, I always thought Taft was, wasn't he like uh, the original Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt's like vice president? And he was like Roosevelt's handpicked guy to run for president under the bull moose party or something. And then he won. And then during his time as president, Teddy Roosevelt decided that he actually sucked and then decided to run (laughs) against him in the next election and ended up beating him. I feel like that's what actually happened to William Howard Taft, but I'm not the expert. I'm not the one here writing the websites about presidential trivia. So who knows? You are the one reading the presidential trivia. I expect you to vet some of this stuff. I also now really like to imagine a situation where Teddy Roosevelt is hanging out down at the Mason's Club or whatever and being like, and people being like, hey, how's things going with Taft? And him being like, honestly, bro, Taft sucks. (laughs) Don't you guys think Taft sucks? Wouldn't you like me to be president again? Wouldn't that be awesome? Remember, you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops for free every Monday afternoon in your timelines and podcast libraries. If you think we're having fun here, though, you should join us over on Patreon. Ben Folks and I are party rocking over there all week, churning out the additional MMA content. We've got Wednesday's live chat where we take your questions for a full 60 minutes. We've got Thursday's doing the damn thing podcast and we got Friday's power hour, a full extra hour of curated MMA talk. Get down with us over there. We've got a patronage tier for every budget. Head over to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up to join the team. Support the podcast that supports you so well, so tenderly. And let us keep the discord discourse unfettered. Keep this train on the tracks. Pay, co-main event podcast at patreon.com slash co-main event. You, you gotta give. You gotta give. Chad, got, look at my face. Yeah. You gotta give. We got music this week. Speaking of people who give from our friend Dion Rodriguez, a music producer from Deltona, Florida. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more at soundcloud.com slash dbeat7. And remember, that's the word beats with a Z. Beat. Beats.
Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, is Erin Blanchfield ready for prime time? She sure looked like it against a short notice Jessica Andrage. And in round number two, well, there was good news and bad news at BKFC Knucklemania number whatever. Greg Hardy got KTFO'd and Diego Sanchez got turned into a bloody mess. We trust you guys to know which is which. And in round number three, in the main event of the next UFC fight night, a guy who used to be nicknamed Al Capone and is now nicknamed The Miner is fighting a guy nicknamed Superman. You'll never guess what happens next. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. This week's listener mail is once again brought to you by our friends at NordVPN. Honestly, NordVPN is one of my favorite things online right now. I use it on all my devices. I know Ben does too. It's super fast. It's easy to use. And uh, it'll give you the peace of mind of knowing that all your personal information is safe online, whether you're using the internet at home, traveling, or just running around town, and your phone is bouncing from public Wi-Fi to public Wi-Fi. Ben, I know you love that feature as a man about town, that NordVPN Mm -hmm. will just hop on and protect you no matter which Wi-Fi your your phone is utilizing. I absolutely love it. I love it because it doesn't matter where I am, Chad. It doesn't matter if I'm at my peanut farm. It doesn't matter... If I am skipping out on Air National Guard training sessions, it doesn't matter if I am improperly storing classified documents at my country club home, NordVPN has got me covered. Now, see, you you claim to to dislike the presidential trivia, and I feel like you just worked some in there on the sly. I don't know what you're talking about. It's not like all those locations I just mentioned have some kind of unifying theme. Huh. Friends, we've been telling you about the Nord VPN security bundle. It has three easy options for how to use it. You can get the standard plan for your basic VPN needs. You can get the plus plan if you need a little something extra, or you could go for the big dog. Get the complete plan, which takes care of your every need. Enjoy the leading VPN service and malware blocker. Generate and store strong passwords. Protect files in an encrypted cloud. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. First question this week comes to us from our guy, Devin Scott. He writes, William Knight had a tough night at the office. You would be forgiven if you thought this was the UFC video game with no one on the controller. Other than looking cartoonishly muscular, he did not do much. We've all had shit days at work, and fortunate for most of us, our job is not televised. How have you handled public gaffes and fuck-ups at your job? Now, see, this took a turn there at the end. I thought we were talking about William Knight, the big homie. (laughs) And suddenly, Devin Scott is trying to get us to confess to some some screw-ups at work. Uh, You know, I think I feel like the point here about William Knight, and I saw you make this on Twitter, is that he started getting death threats. After this admittedly poor performance out there at the UFC fight night. And allow us to just say, don't do that. Don't no. send death threats to fighters, mm. basically under any circumstance. But don't no. do it just because you didn't like their performance. And maybe you had $20 you were never going to see again anyway down on William Knight. And he didn't come through for you. Don't. You know who you should be sending death threats to? Yourself. Because you're the one who made the bets. Don't send fighters the death threats, man. Don't do it. So you should like... Like email yourself, like basically do a email version of the scene in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he's looking in the mirror saying you don't get these lines right. I'm going to blow your brains out all over your pool. That's what you should do. Look, I'm not 
I'm not advocating any of that. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I two things here. One about William Knight's actual performance. I mean, for one thing, it's sometimes humorous for me as somebody who, when I see a JSF ass fight card like this, where there's really not a whole lot, I feel like I got to watch live and I kind of see what's going on on Twitter, see what people are saying. And then when I loop back to watch it, there's a little bit of like dramatic irony in it for me because I saw people complaining about how boring the William Knight fight was, how he didn't do anything. And then when I'm watching through with my cup of coffee on a Sunday morning and at the very beginning of the, the, the fight, you can hear Brendan Fitzgerald be like, all right, we got a banger coming up next. And I'm just like, no, you don't from everything I hear. No, you do not. And then even in round one, I could hear him say something along the lines of, um, well, here we are. We're three minutes in. William Knight has thrown one strike. <laughs> just like, yeah, okay. I guess, I guess the internet wasn't lying to me. And you know what? It's one of those fights where, I can see how it's frustrating for people to watch, especially when you are a super jacked ass dude. Yeah. I think it's more frustrating for people because they go, look, you you look like you could do anything. You look <laughs> like you could rip that man's head off his body whenever you choose to and then go out in the parking lot and lift up a bus to free a trapped child. And yet you're not doing anything. And so I, I think that there's like a little bit of like cognitive dissonance there for, for people watching. But he explained it afterwards. I think he handled it as well as you can really handle it is to own it and be like, look, I fucked up. I froze out there. I didn't do my stuff. I messed up. And I'm sorry. Like, that's all me. I fucked that one up. Like, that's all you can really do there is to say that you messed it up, admit it, move on from there. The people angry about it, it always baffles me. I understand it's a it's a natural outcropping of the gambling element becoming more and more common and legal and above board and more people getting involved in it. But be honest with yourself when you place that bet. You did not enter into a contract with William Knight when you placed that bet on him. You did not come to some kind of agreement where you each have to hold up your side. He doesn't get a portion of it if you win. It got nothing to do with William Knight. That's your shit, man. That is your business that you decided to put that bet down. You want to be mad at somebody if the bet doesn't hit. That's when you should be mad at yourself. That's when you send that email to yourself. That's the person you should be mad at. You got more right to be sending angry emails to the CEO of a company whose stock you invested in that tanked way more right than you do William Knight. Yeah. You know what? Because if you look at your 401k and the shit's going down, you got more uh, right to email the Starbucks CEO and be like, what are we doing, bro? What's what's happening? Because he at least has to answer to you as a shareholder. William Knight does not. He does not need to feel sorry for you. He does not need to explain anything to you. He, he him, him saying, oh, I kind of get it why these people are mad. No, don't give them that, William Knight. Do not give them that. Play at your own risk, you jabronis. Here endeth the rant, Chad. Next question this week comes to us from Jamie Winquist, who writes, I don't know if you guys have seen the video of the new NBA app where Adam Silver scans Ahmad Rashad and then uses the scan replace uh, player function in some live game footage, culminating in Ahmad's avatar dunking on everyone. I immediately wondered if I'd pay a couple bucks to have some video of myself KOing Greg Hardy or some other fighter I just can't stand. 
Is there any particular fighter you'd like to see yourself tapping out or pummeling? Any great moment in fight history that would crack you up to see yourself in? Now, I have not seen this particular technology, but I think I can kind of understand what it is. And if I'm reading it right, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I feel like we would all put our heads on Brock Lesnar's body, right? Just just to have it. I don't know who he would be beating up in the fight, but, uh, you know, just, just to... Just to see. Put your head on Brock Lesnar's body and then make that your Tinder profile. Standing there, the big-ass sword tattoo on your chest. (laughs) All that. I mean, I feel like, especially MMA fans, basically everybody, but mostly MMA fans, if we had this technology at our ready disposal to use any time of day we want to, we would abuse it. Yeah. We would abuse it immediately and do ridiculous shit with it. We don't you know? deserve it. Is that what you're saying? I'm just saying, if you're going to give it to us, do it with eyes wide open. Do it knowing that we're going to do some absolutely ridiculous shit that I'm going to be sending Chad videos of him doing the hello Japan thing and getting choked out by Shinya Yoki. <laughs> oh, it's all I'm going to I'm, I'm, you know, send Ben Gabriel a video of him getting face stomped by a prime Shogun Hua in Pride 2005. You know, just be ready for that because that's yeah. what's happening all day long. Putting my face on Nick Diaz, just saying y'all on steroids. Everybody's on steroids. Meanwhile, um, I'll be over there. But you'll be, you'll be my face on Vandalay Silva's body doing the wrist roll in the corner. Mean be, mugging you. That would be pretty cool. Putting the fear of God into you. I hate to admit it, but that would be pretty cool. Uh, next question this week comes to us from Otto the Finn. He writes, the war in Russia is waging against Ukraine and has had consequences on many Russian athletes in a multitude of sports, but seemingly none in mainstream MMA. While the war is not the individual fighter's fault, I personally do feel it is wrong to basically offer a platform for national pride to Russia at this moment in time. Of course, the UFC will not do anything. It would affect the bottom line, after all. I find it impossible to root for any Russian fighter. I just find it kind of gross to speak of high-profile Russian athletes as if all is normal and their nation is not conducting a bloody and what is widely seen as a war of terror against a sovereign state with a number of obvious uh, war crimes committed. Again, this is a highly politicized subject, but it has such wide ranging effects that I felt it cannot be ignored anymore. Uh, What are your thoughts on the matter? Now, this is, I believe, in reference to Islam Ahachev, because we got this uh, email after he defeated Volkanovsky in the uh, super fight at UFC 284. You know, I see where Otto the Finn is coming from, and I feel like if he literally did email us from Finland, he is obviously physically much closer uh, to where this war is happening than we are, and it is a highly politicized issue, and without getting too deep into who thinks everyone is right and wrong and who's, you know, doing all this stuff, I, I have a hard time blaming the individual. And we've seen a lot of Russian fighters who display outwardly nationalistic tendencies, right? And Fedor Emelianenko has been known to pile around with your guy Putin over there sitting in the front row and whatnot, you know, shaking hands, smoking and joking. Uh, but at the same you time... Have all the guys who have who have gone, taken the blood money to go over there and hang out with uh, Ramzan Kadyrov and help him uh, promote his own personal death band militia. So yeah. that that's also a, a very present in this uh, situation. And look, we know what the UFC's stake in it is. They want to go to Russia. They want to get that Russian money. They still want the Russians to be coming to Abu Dhabi to watch the fights when they go over there. 
Uh, but at the same time, man, I just don't see how you blame any single fighter, let alone Islam Mahacha. We are over here in the United States of America, where throughout my lifetime, the government has done a bunch of shit that yeah. I am not personally that thrilled by and don't support. And I would hate to think that if I go anywhere internationally, they would be like, hey, you fucking American, fuck you because of XYZ thing that you had nothing to do with. Yeah, and so that's kind of where I was going to go with it too, is that I understand feeling uncomfortable, especially if there's moments where uh, a guy is really getting up there and, and being like rah-rah pro-Russia and we're like, mm, we're not that crazy about Russia at the moment because of this ongoing war of conquest against one of your neighbors. And yet, I mean, people might have and probably did feel this way when we decided to go to war in Iraq and kept telling you there were a bunch of weapons of mass destruction that we knew damn well weren't there. So, I mean... I don't think it's a one-to-one equivalency. I don't think it excuses anything that the nations of Russia is doing. But I also feel like if they want to get up there and they want to align themselves with that, that's their business. And we will make our judgments and, and form opinions about them as a result of it. God, I feel like I trust the marketplace of ideas, at least to some extent, in that situation. I don't necessarily feel like I want to see them punished or deplatformed by the UFC. The UFC being like, we're not going to give you an opportunity to fight because we don't want any Russian bastards up here talking about how great Russia is right now. Like, I, and I don't think that the UFC would do it for any other reasons than you said, just cold calculations and trying to make that sweet, sweet money. But I also just feel like I don't know if a Russian fighter is against the war if, A, he feels like he could even say that without risking terrible things happening to him and his family, or B, even if he's not, like, it's not like he made this happen. And so I I can't fault the individual too much or, or feel too good about us making something bad happen to that individual as a result of it. Uh, I just feel like, you know, Maybe if a Russian dude does show up and get booed somewhere just because they announced him as being from Russia, maybe one thing the commentary team could do is at least acknowledge that that kind of thing is happening. Because there are situations like this, and it's just one example where you are alerted to the fact that because the commentary is a UFC production and not an outside media company putting together the broadcast, that it's that they're just handing over their finished broadcast to ESPN to air and the UFC is doing it. There's a lot of times where the UFC is just going to be like, "Mm, we're going to pretend we live in an alternate reality because it's easier for us to get by that way. Yeah. I feel like maybe we could not do that so much. Next question this week comes to us from Samuel Clemens. So Mark Twain. Uh, Mark Twain. Yeah. He writes, I just watched a video where Alan Joban argues that Volkanovsky should stay at the top of the pound for pound list because if there was a quote unquote sixth round, he would have won based on the fact that he had more left in the tank. But should that matter? Who cares what would have happened? It's like saying if there was a fifth period, then maybe the Eagles win the Super Bowl. This is a sport, not a street fight. Any further and further, if there isn't if there is something to be asked. And further, isn't there something to be asked about why at the championship level would you leave anything in the tank? Why not weaponize pace and give everything? Ben, have you seen Alan Chopin work the desk on these UFC broadcasts? I just saw him. I've not seen him. I saw him for the first time on Saturday during this fight night. That boy, good. That boy is good at this stuff. The talking on the TV stuff. He's a damn natural. Now, 
this thing about the sixth round. I don't know about that. But all in all, whew, Alan Joban, he looks good. He talks good. I got he's one of the best I've seen, to be honest. Looks good getting off the bus. That man cleans up nice. Yeah, I'll, he I'll does. give him that. Uh, but I I agree here with Samuel Clemens because to say like if there were a sixth round, there's not. There's fucking not. And not like the the argument that like, hey, if there were more fighting than the scheduled fighting, this guy would be in a better shape to continue that fighting. How do we know the other guy didn't spend every last ounce of energy he has knowing that there's not a sixth round? Like, everybody got to prepare for the situation that they are told that it is. And so, I don't feel it's right to either give somebody too much credit or give the other or take something away from the other guy for being like, you were not prepared for more than you knew would be asked of you. That's not the job, man. The job is to win the fight in those five rounds. I think that it's tricky for us in fight sports because it's one of the only sports where we could go this full scheduled time or it could end at any point along the way to there. And so even when we get to the end, there's still some part of us that goes, well, the fact that we got here without it being ended maybe makes us feel like we didn't get a real ending. Whereas you never feel that way in a four-quarter football game or three periods of a hockey game because we always knew. No matter what happened, we're going to finish out the thing. Yeah, And I I understand the thinking behind it. Basically, Stockton rules is what Alan Joban is appealing to here. The, the laid out by the Diaz brothers that who looks more fucked up and who looks like they would win if the fight were to continue. But that's just flat out not how it works. It's just not. Um, and you know, you can't fault anybody on the other side, either giving one guy credit or taking away from the other guy for not doing a thing that they knew we weren't going to do. We all knew what this was, man. It's a five round, five, five, five minute round fight. Yeah. Everybody knew that. Yeah. You got to work with that. I agree with you. Now, Ben, we get a lot of fan mail here at the co-main event podcast. So I just wanted to pass this one on, uh, from Vajid Ali who writes, Stop whining and making out like Volkanovsky is some kind of tragic hero. He lost. Also, if Volk's strike off his back were the these nuggets of death, he would have released that damn body triangle. Those strikes were ineffective. Dot dot dot. The end. Now, I like when you signed your email with the end, like it's a goddamn <laughs> movie script. Like you just you sent the you sent us the Godfather. You sent us Godfather Part Two, and then we're like the end, motherfucker checkmate is this one of those things that people sometimes do on the internet where they're like i don't know who needs to hear this but yeah <laughs> because i feel like i do are we the people who need to hear this i mean maybe there are some people who need to hear this, but are we those people i don't know if we are those i mean if you want to say we are if you want to go back and say that we were whining and making out like volk was some kind of tragic hero you're welcome to do it. you need to show your work yeah. You need to cite what it is we said that made you think that that was our opinion on it. I recall saying about the strikes off his back that while it was something that fired up the crowd and uh, it was a really memorable moment in the fight, he would probably look back on it and looking at the scorecards and how close they were and wish he had done something different. Yeah. That's exactly what I said about it last week. And like agreed that those 
he's when you're you're punching somebody over your shoulder like that and talking to him, you're not doing it because you think you're really hurting the guy or you think that you're winning in that. You're doing it because you don't think that you have a whole lot of better options because you're stuck. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, I do think it's fair to point out that as we got later in that fight, Islam Mahachev would get in some of these positions where he was not close to really doing anything. He wasn't close to getting a choke at any point against Alexander Volkanovsky when he got him there. All he had was a good position on him, and he wanted to hold on to it because he was tired and because it wasn't always going well for him, and that he wanted to hang out there a little while and rest. And the same thing he was doing at the end of the fifth round. But I'm not going to say that it's, it makes Volkanovsky a tragic hero or that he deserved more credit than he got for it. I think the judges kind of got that one basically right. It is possible that... Vajid, the end, Ali, is angry with me here. And I will say from the get-go that last week's co-main event podcast proper feels like it was 100 years ago yeah. in this in the time span of MMA. Uh, but, I, you know, wh- I believe what I said was that if you are going by the strict letter of the law of the current MMA scoring criteria, then Volkanovsky reaching behind himself to punch Islam Mahachev in the face is supposed to count more than Islam Mahachev holding Volkanovsky in a body triangle and not doing anything with it. But I believe I said that in in part of a discussion where I said, I think that the scoring criteria sometimes is bogus and that it I feel like it only muddies the water because that's kind of a ridiculous argument to make. But you're supposed to prioritize damage. And if Volkanovsky is punching Mahachev in the face over his shoulder and all Mahachev is doing is holding him in a body triangle up against the fence and not doing anything, then the rules tell us those are supposed to score. And the thing that Mahachev is doing doesn't. That's all I was saying. That's what the rules say. The end. The end. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link at the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. As to right now, though, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, did you know that Thomas Jefferson had a pet mockingbird named Dick, which he kept in the White House study? The bird often rode on Jefferson's shoulder and was trained to take small bites of food held between Jefferson's lips at mealtime. That ain't just come on, Thomas. That ain't right. At mealtime between your lips. That sentence just kept getting worse, man. Yeah. You're trained to take small bites of food. I'm like, well, okay. I don't know how much training is required to train an animal to take bites of food. You're like, And then you said from his lips. And I went, no. And then you said at mealtime. And I went, damn it. What? Have you no decency, sir? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have a tendency to treat these forefathers like they were walking on water. Like they were out here scribbling down in solid gold the word of God straight onto the Constitution. Well, sometimes we forget they were weird motherfuckers, man. 
Weird yeah. fuckers. Here's Thomas Jefferson with his bird named Dick taking food out of his mouth. That's pretty weird, man. That is weird. Pretty weird. At meal time. At meal time. Like Jefferson wants us all to come over for dinner. Man, I don't want to. You know <laughs> he's gonna have Dick on his shoulder. He's gonna get the bird eating, out. Eating food out of his mouth. Man, I lose my appetite when that shit happens. Yeah. I'm going to start out this round with a piece of listener mail we got from our guy Patrick Milder on Patreon. And if you're not over there hanging out with us on Patreon, you might not know. But Patrick Milder last week was kind of, he was big enough, big up in Aaron Blanchfield, talking about how she is his wife's favorite fighter. They were excited to watch Blanchfield fight Jessica Andrade, et cetera, et cetera. He's going to bring a little Travis Kelsey energy to this email that he sent us. Ain't none of y'all picked Blanchfield. You're a bunch of jabronis. Our house would like to abol- apologize to absolutely no one. Just doing my best version of Travis Kelsey here. Turns out we were correct to be hyped about this Blanchfield fight, despite people on the Discord counting her out. The milder household is party rocking. Now, if you join the Coming Event Cup Podcast Patreon, you get access to our official Discord message board, where you can be over there chopping it up with the fine people, the fine patrons. But I gotta say... Patrick Milder is absolutely right here. Aaron Blanchfield went out there, choked out Jessica Andrade a minute and 37 seconds into the second round, and prior to that, had been pretty much lighting her up on the feet for most of the first round as well. She she jumped up to claim the number two spot on the UFC's official women's flyweight rankings, Ben, and I don't know, man, she kind of looked as good as advertised here in this main event fight, albeit against a version of Jessica Andrade who took this fight on short notice. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, Aaron Blanchfield can only beat the people you give her, and she looked damn good here. And she also looked like somebody who is very comfortable at this point, very confident in her abilities, and has a pretty well-rounded game. And so naturally, it's going to make people watch this fight and be like, is this it? Is this the person? Have Have we found... The, the person who's going to go out there and who's going to beat Valentina Shevchenko. And it's always kind of a tricky thing because when you have a dominant champion who's been holding it down for a little while, but also one who looked more vulnerable than maybe we've ever seen her, at least in that weight class in her last title defense, um, it feels like when you're talking about we're looking for new contenders, we're looking for who might be the one to come and knock her off her throne – and so much of it is timing, right? Yeah. Because basically we're trying to see if this person is far enough up on their ascent and coming along at the same time that Valentina Shevchenko might be starting down the other side of the mountain. And Aaron Blanchfield is very young, 23 years old, going to be 24 in May. So that right there, like that's... I mean, in other sports, you know, maybe that'd be exactly when we expect you to be in your prime. In MMA, having had 12 pro fights and only 23 years old, we'd think like, okay, that might be a little too soon for you. But then again, you might also be super good, A, and coming along at the right time to fight somebody like Valentina Shevchenko. But the, the, the danger always is that you might get hustled in there sooner than would be best for you. Yeah. Because... When there is is and has been a dominant champion, and especially in a division like this, they the UFC might just go. This is this looks like the best option we have. We need somebody to fight for the belt, and Valentina Shevchenko beat everybody else. And so there you go. 
Yeah, no, you're right. And I had pointed out last week that prior to this, Jessica Andrade, at least in recent history, had only lost to the very best fighters in the world. Joanna Yajajic, Zhang Wiley, Rose Namajunas, and Valentina Shevchenko uh, were her only losses since 2015. And I said, if Aaron Blanchfield wants to be considered or wants the chance to be considered among that group, she needs to show it to me this weekend and beat Jessica Andrade. And she did that. She damn yep. well did that. She looked very impressive. Jessica Andrade tagged her with some hard shots early on and then toward the end of the round. But other than that, Aaron Blanchfield kind of touched her up on the feet and then used her wrestling in the second round to get the fight where she needed to go past to side control like Jessica Andrade's uh, guard was made out of butter and then choked her out really fast. So it was all in all a very impressive performance. Now, it's hard to pick against anyone except Valentina Shevchenko. You know, it's hard to pick against Valentina Shevchenko against anyone, I should say, at this weight. She is undefeated there. She has looked unstoppable there in all of her fights except the most recent one uh, against Tyla Santos at UFC 275 where she had to go to split decision to win that one. But all that said, Aaron Blanchfield seems to have a interesting skill set, let's say, to take in there against Valentina Shevchenko. She seems to, you know, have maybe good enough striking to get her through an early storm. And if she manages to put Valentina Shevchenko down on the mat, things could get very interesting from there. So if you told me that they were going to go ahead and give Aaron Blanchfield the next crack at whoever uh, is the women's flyweight champion, by the time we get around to have an Aaron Blanchfield fight for it, you can assume it'll be uh, Valentina Shevchenko, but she does have, a fight with Alexa Grasso coming up in March at UFC 285. Uh, assuming she wins that and you told me Aaron Blanchfield was next, I got no problem with that. I would definitely watch Aaron Blanchfield fight Valentina Shevchenko. And frankly, as you said, if you're Valentina Shevchenko, maybe best to get her now before she gets any better. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, if you are going to cement yourself as one of the great champions, and that is the kind of thing you have to do is that when people start to write you off and be like, okay, where we think the best years are behind you, then you take on this young whippersnapper who thinks her time is now and uh, have to make a point there. Because, I mean, I think even if you made this fight right now, that's a good, interesting pairing. And you're right that uh, before I had been sort of interested but waiting for more evidence on Aaron Blanchfield uh, and looking really good against somebody like Jessica Andrade that is that that is significant to me. Like that makes me look at her a little bit differently and be like, okay, she does look like she has all the tools and it's the real deal. Yeah. And obviously it was supposed to be Tyler Santos out there against Aaron Blanchfield in this fight. She had to pull out Jessica Andrade comes in on a three fight win streak. I believe they vocalized this on the broadcast. Maybe she thought, okay, I swoop in here. I get one more. And then I've revitalized myself all the way as a title contender. Uh, and that did not work out for her. She gets defeated no. here snaps that win streak all right let's go ahead and do are you fucking kidding me ben and then we will move on to round number two ben what is your are you fucking kidding me this week well chad nate marquart is upset mm -hmm. former king of pancrase ufc title contender uh strike force champion nate marquart he is upset because he was watching some people stripped to the waist fight in a bloody cage fight. 
And then he saw a commercial where two men kissed. Oh, no. No, he did not. Tell me he did not. He did. And he was so upset about it, he took to Twitter and he wrote, Wow, disgusting commercial watching at ESPN Plus with my kids and have to tell them to look away so they don't see two men kissing. Barf emoji. And then he tags at UFC at ESPN. Hashtag barf. Hashtag disgusting. Which... I guess I have a couple are you fucking kidding me's here. But the main one is this. You're going to be out here watching the UFC with your kids. And you're going to get mad at something you see on a commercial. A commercial during a UFC fight night event. You're not getting mad at something like the, the programming that somebody is offering you. It's a commercial. You know what commercials are? They're the shit that they use to try to sell something to you, man. And if you're going to get mad that a commercial did not adhere to your own rigidly constructed interpretation of Christianity, stop watching TV entirely. It's just, it's a minefield out there for you, bro. You will not be able to handle it. it the commercials are not made to fit one guy's idea of Christianity. That's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to sell stuff. And you can get a tag ESPN like, do you know about this? <laughs> Have you, are you aware of this commercial that you're playing that has upset me? So that's one part of that. Are you fucking kidding me? The other part, I mean, if you thought it was just like Nate Barkhart just firing shit off, um, no, he, he, he wades right into this because people let him know that they think that he's being kind of a dick here. MMA junkie, writes up a thing about it. I had to single out MMA Junkie for a little bit of, are you fucking kidding me? Because they post this thing where it's like, here's what Twitter had to say about Nate Marquardt saying this stuff on Twitter. And it's, first of all, it's under like, the byline is MMA Junkie staff, which, come on, bro. Of course. We know why you're doing that. Yeah. Somebody wrote that. Somebody sat down and wrote that thing. There's a little bit of opinion in it. They try for a little bit of a funny tone because it's like the the blog section of the website. But somebody wrote that, and, and you won't put your name on it because you don't want to get mad at you. You don't want them to be able to say, I'm mad at this person. You want to just be like, MMA Junkie wrote this. A robot didn't write this shit. person wrote this shit. Um, but Nate Marquardt, in the course of kind of defending his his viewpoint here, he goes on at one point. Chad, to say that uh, homosexuality, pedophilia, and then you got to lump in fornication are all sin worthy of death, uh, which I like to imagine there was somebody out there who was also, you know, homophobic the same way Nate Marquardt is was like yeah tell him this time somebody gotta stand up so we stop seeing even a brief moment of men kissing on TV is terrible even though I've been uh, conditioned by all this like I've seen male and female cartoon characters kiss from the time I was a child and that seemed okay to me but this is a step too far and then when he say fornication and I'm like you guys know what that means right <laughs> That means fucking, Chad. Yeah, he's against fucking. Yep, that is what. So, I think a lot of these people who probably thought they were on his side and like really happy to hear him say it uh, are hoping to do some fornication at some point in the near future. Um, I'm kidding me. Maybe you might want to think about it before you realize that uh, we're arguing for a really kind of extreme thing going on, and it's all because we got mad at a commercial. Yeah. 
Uh, wouldn't it be terrible if Nate Marquardt had to stop watching uh, the UFC because it was too woke? Because the <laughs> UFC had caught the woke mind virus and Nate Marquardt could not watch it anymore? You know what he should do is do what I do and watch the shit the next day <laughs> when you could skip through all the commercials, man. Yeah. We'll, we're doing it for different reasons, Nate, but it'll work out for you better, I think. Yeah. No, and the, the other thing is if your kid doesn't see a commercial where two guys kiss, they just won't know about it. They just won't yep. know about homosexuality at all. You've protected them from it. Yeah. From That's that. why homosexuality as a thing uh, didn't exist until people started having commercials where uh, men kissed. Before that, it was an unknown thing. Didn't did never happened in the history of human civilization. Yeah. If I'm, Nate Marquardt, frankly, rolling in with a contender for Are You Fucking Kidding Me of the Year. Right it's there. only February. And it's only you know? February. Uh, ben, I hate to tell you this, but Nate Marquardt was not the only MMA fighter acting the fool on social media over the weekend. <laughs> we got to talk about Derek Brunson here, uh, who jumps on TikTok. TikTok, excuse me, TikTok is a breath mint. He jumps on TikTok <laughs> here to make a video, puts it also on his Twitter. That's how you know you got a winner is when you don't just you don't just put it on one of your socials. You make sure no. it goes up on Twitter. You got it on Instagram, maybe even post it on your official Facebook just because you know it's a home run. Uh, the video here is Derek Brunson lying in his bed wearing a pair of sunglasses, just laughing his ass off as though, you know, he's got he's put one over on the world. And here is the caption. It says, I was giving her a thousand dollars a month for child support. She took me to court and now she's getting two hundred and twenty two dollars and sixty six cents. Crying, laughing emoji, crying, laughing emoji, crying, laughing emoji. Are you fucking kidding me, Derek Brunson? You're going to be on the Internet bragging about being a deadbeat dad who doesn't take care of your kids. I don't think that's the flex you think it is, man. I don't think that, you know, maybe that's true. You don't have to tell us. You don't have to be telling on yourself on your own social media. He's like, I don't take care of my kids. No. Are you fucking kidding me, Derek Brunson? Really? Bragging about not taking care of your kids, huh? Okay, I guess. The other thing you're telling on yourself is that basically you guys went to court. The judge looked at your income and was like, no, this man can't afford to pay that much uh, for his children because he doesn't make enough. Uh, you're kind of telling on yourself, and maybe the fight promoters pay you. Fucking kidding me? Hey, fucking kidding me. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but we have some controversy coming out of Knuckle Mania 3 this weekend over there in Albuquerque, New Mexico. You know, BKFC took their action over there, had some interesting stuff on this here card, uh, up to and including Greg Hardy going out there at like 295 pounds to fight some dude who he dwarfed and seemed like he was obviously there to get smashed. And then the guy slapped him. Yeah, knocked him out cold. One punch KO'd him in the second round. Um, and then, you know, John Dodson continues to realize that he is super good at bare knuckle boxing. <laughs> Should have been so, doing it the whole time. Good for him. I'm, I'm glad to see that for him. But Chad, 
Diego Sanchez went out there, got all pieced up yeah. by Austin Trout in this one. We finally got a doctor stoppage, and it was the kind where Diego Sanchez had been split wide open, blood, all types of blood coming out of his head, God, you know? And then his opponent basically has to turn to Big Dan and be like, bro, what are we doing here? <laughs> And Big Dan, who, as you noted when we went to see BKFC in Great Falls, seems to sometimes have a look on his face like he thinks this is all a lark. And then he was like, you know what, Austin, you make a good point. Let me call time and get the doctor over here. And that is when we stopped it at 144 of the fourth round. But Diego Sanchez got on Instagram the next day and had a lot to say about Austin Trout being greased up, which... You would think maybe in bare knuckle boxing, not such a big deal, but yeah. uh, we got some videos posted afterwards that seemed to show Austin Trout going out there with not only a whole bunch of Vaseline all over his face and his beard, but somebody did post one, and I'm, I had to be like, you know how my initial reaction is when somebody gets just all beat up in a fight and then is like, my opponent cheated with the use of Vaseline, and if not that, it would have been a different fight. There's a part of me that my initial reaction is like, come on, man. Like, we don't have to do this. Yeah, this, this is not dignified. But then I watch this video and they show Austin Trout's quarter man getting a whole bunch of Vaseline in his hand during the introductions. Which, by the way, first, if you're going to grease your guy up during the introductions, wait until they're introducing the other guy. <laughs> don't do it when they're introducing your guy because the camera's going to be on him. God damn it. Do it when they introduce the other guy. He gets all this Vaseline in his hands, and you can see him rubbing it all around the back of his neck, on like his upper shoulders and stuff like that. And Diego Sanchez says this is because he said before the fight that his game plan was going to be to get in there in the clinch. BKFC, unlike traditional boxing rules, allows you to hold in the clinch with one hand and punch with the other. Um, which, I mean, maybe this is a case for don't tell people your game plan before the fight. But... You do see them clearly applying this Vaseline to the neck area. And look, I'm not going to sit here and say Diego Sanchez, if he had been able to get a better grip on this guy, would have been a completely different fight or anything. But it does seem like maybe these guys weren't going to take the chance that he could do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, for one, am just happy to get back to a good old-fashioned combat sports grease controversy. <laughs> yeah. God, let's take it yeah, back to the old nice. school, back to basics. Just some greasing. Mm-hmm. Greasing allegations. We don't have to be talking about who used an IV or did not use an IV. Picograms and whatnot. Yeah, don't don't have to be talking about pe- milliliters who went over to be a, at a Chechen warlord's birthday party and whatnot. Uh, this is a yeah, good old rewind the clock to a greasing controversy. <laughs> also, uh, not not to act like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but uh, Diego Sanchez, it doesn't matter what your game plan was here, man. You were probably not going to win this fight. Everybody in mixed martial arts loves Diego Sanchez. I love Diego Sanchez. I think anybody who allows him to go out and compete any bare knuckle boxing match at this stage in his career should at the very least be investigated for committing (laughs) crimes against humanity and maybe brought up on charges. As far as I'm concerned, Uh, we don't need this. He doesn't need it. And whether or not uh, the other guy was greasing, He's really uh, 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 out of the question. I don't really care if the other guy was greasing. Somebody stop Diego Sanchez from fighting in bare knuckle boxing ever again. Let's just do that. Let's start there. Meanwhile, one thing that I really have come to think about Greg Hardy's foray into combat sports, first MMA, now bare knuckle boxing here. 
I I have to admit, I've come to appreciate one thing that he has done here, which is sort of get rid of this myth we used to have in our heads that man NFL or MMA fighters, especially heavyweights, there's just no no good athletes. And if an NFL player came over here, like a good NFL player, they just dominate. They could, you know, the only reason they don't is because the money's so much better in the NFL than it is here. But if they came over to combat sports, they would just kill everybody because they're elite athletes, and that's what matters, and then that's what makes the big difference. Greg Hardy has proven that's not true. Yeah. Because the man was an all-pro NFL player, and he has come over here. And I'll say this. I appreciate that Greg Hardy has made combat sports look difficult. He makes this shit look hard, man. Yeah, he does. He makes this shit look like not anybody can do it. Yeah, that's a great point. Because Uh, he is a big-ass dude. Looks good getting off the bus. Looks scary. Comes in there. uh, Doesn't have the technique and at times the cardio or maybe even the the proper mindset. uh, And keeps getting beat up. By be- by dudes who look like they should not be able to beat him up, but yeah. because they actually know how to do this stuff. Yeah, and I appreciate him making this look as difficult as it actually is. It's a nice reminder that there are a lot of different ways for a career in combat sports to go wrong, and that you need more than just the sheer athleticism. You have to have a bunch of different traits to make this work, and the absence of almost any of those traits could be a fatal flaw in your uh, evolution as a combat sports Uh, athlete and for uh, Greg Hardy it seems like he has several flaws that have prevented him from becoming successful in either MMA and now bare knuckle boxing if you are a person who wants to see bad things happen to Greg Hardy uh, and you somehow have not seen this video of him getting just flattened by a guy who uh, charitably speaking sports the man on the street build Mm -hmm. you should go find it and watch it if you're interested in seeing uh, something bad happened to Greg Hardy because it is amusing to to see that go down. And, you know, I don't want us to lose sight at any point of how bad the UFC wanted him to be a star in yeah. MMA and how much they they tried to get him over and how many opportunities they took to put him in a big high profile situation to be like, we got this guy, Greg Hardy, former NFL player who now is is amazing at mixed martial arts. And he just sucked almost the whole way. And it really took the UFC a lot longer than it should have to give up because, oh, they wanted it so bad. They really wanted him to be good. And man, he was not good. Nope. Was not. Have, have you seen the video of the woman who like dislocates her ankle and her foot is pointed sideways oh, and she yeah. like she reaches down herself to straighten it? Because that mm-hmm. is also a thing that happened at uh, Bare Knuckle FC Knuckle Mania number whatever. That I had a visceral reaction to seeing that because I feel like I had to watch it twice, which I hated myself for because it's I, something like that. You don't want to, I don't want to watch it once. I watched it the first time and I was like, wait, was it like, was her shoe messed up? Like did it, cause it looked like at first her foot was pointing off in an angle that could only mean something was broken. But then she just reached down and just adjusted it as if that was not the case. Like just kind of reflexively, yeah. And I had to watch it again to be like, no, she she's the one who's wrong. She's she's that's a person in shock, basically looking down and just being like, oh, my foot seems to be pointing off at an odd angle. Let me just put it back, and then realizing like, nope, that's it doesn't work like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before we get out of here, I wanted to read at least part of this email that we got from Hazel Monson. 
uh, just because I like this turn of phrase. It says, Greg Hardy got spectacularly flatlined, utterly closed casket funeral deaded by a dude with a carny mustache and full body tats. I have no question. I merely wanted to share the good news. Anyway, can't wait to see Hardy show up for two and two in slap fighting. <laughs> you know what? Greg Hardy wants to move to, to slap fighting. I am all for it. I mean, I think I feel, that they, they like would love would, to have him. Yeah, I would take one phone call to Dana White and sign him up. I, You know what? Don't tell me how it goes. Don't even tell me that it's happening. Just go ahead and do it, and uh, I won't ever know. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, ben, did you know that in the early days, presidents rode in stock unmodified cars until Franklin Delano Roosevelt during his administration had a state car custom built with armor plating for the doors, bulletproof tires, inch thick windows and storage compartments for pistols and submachine guns. Okay, that's dope. Yeah, it was it was initially called Old 99 in reference to a number on its first license plate, but was later nicknamed the Sunshine Special. I don't. I feel like that nickname made it worse. That's gonna do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, UFC Apex down there in Las Vegas will host UFC Fight Night Krilov versus Span this weekend. Now, Nikita Krilov, he's the guy who was nicknamed Al Capone, right? I didn't just make that up. That was at yeah. one point his nickname. Not, not only was he nicknamed that, he his Sheridog Fight Finder photo was a photo he and his camp sent to Sheridog to use on the Fight Finder, and it was a photo of him dressed as Al Capone, basically dressed as like a movie version of an old-timey gangster in like a trench coat with the collar popped up and the little fedora hat. He, he, This is the part where it veers, my memory becomes unreliable. He may have been holding a Tommy gun while also wearing <laughs> MMA gloves. Maybe not the Tommy gun. Definitely the trench coat and the hat, though. Yeah. He was Al Capone there for a good little minute. If he didn't have the top hat. And the Tommy gun, he should have had it. Uh, he comes in having broken a one and three slump in his last four with back to back wins over Alexander Gustafson band. That's sad to have to say that out loud. And uh, the secret of the ooze Vulcan Uzdemir. So he's trying to put together three in a row here against the 31 year old Ryan Spann, who is also riding a two fight win streak. Iwan Kutalaba and then Dominic Reyes at UFC 281 knocked him out in the first round. So. Uh, I guess you could say both these guys are on the come up, but uh, also probably have a ways to go before we'll start considering them in among that elite level at uh, at light heavyweight. Yeah, it, I feel like we're still at the point of light heavyweight where there's guys going, all right, it's a it's a new day. It, it, things aren't operating here the way they used to. You could put together a couple wins and who knows? You put together the right number of wins at the right time, you get yourself a title shot, and you might win this whole thing. It looks like we're at a period where maybe there's some chance for the belt to be passed around a little bit more. Maybe the the belt could circulate 
a little more than it did in the John Jones years. So it's not a bad time to be putting together a winning streak at 205 pounds. Yeah, no, that is correct. It's new life down there for almost everyone. Uh, I believe Krilov is a slight favorite here against Ryan Spann, but uh, that was a couple days ago that I looked at it, so don't quote me on that. Other than that fight, you know, you got yourself a, a, a fight night event here. Probably the most interesting thing happening is Tatiana Suarez returns after three and a half years away from the cage. She has not fight since her, fought since her UFC 238 victory over Nina Nunes back in June of 2019. I believe Suarez has had a lot of knee issues since then that have kept her out, but she's nine and oh, Ben, she is undefeated and uh, was kind of messing people up with the wrestling when she was, I guess in her prime, she's only 32 years old. So it's not like she is uh, old in, in MMA years here. So uh, I don't know, aside from your light heavyweight main event here, this seems to be the, the thing that ought to get the top billing is the return of, uh, of Tatiana Suarez. Yeah. If only cause there's not a whole lot else to get top billing that's going on here. We're ouch. I'm just saying, Ouch. let's go what it is. We She's got, undefeated, uh, Ben. She's a big time sure, prospect. Sure. But this is a, this is a JSF card. Yes. All the way around. Sure. You look at what else that there is here. I mean, I'm not saying that she does not deserve to get some billing here. I'm just saying that she's not in competition with a whole lot. It's not like you're going to go out there and be like, I don't know, but Joe Selecki versus Carl Deaton, the third. Nope. Nobody's saying that. <laughs> Nobody's saying that. This is JSF. Yeah. Again, I don't totally mind the JSF era for the fight nights because it means that we're mostly saving the good stuff for the pay-per-views, which I guess is how it should be. Here's, I guess, one of the questions that I have is like, and and Tatiana Suarez uh, is a, a pretty good example of somebody where, okay, you're you're fighting on the undercard of one of these fight night events. You're eight and zero. You're you're making your way up, and the seems like the idea of how it should work is you're you're going from the undercard of fight night events to climbing up higher on the card and maybe the undercard of some pay-per-views, maybe then the, you know, like uh, a good solid placement as co-main event or something on one of the fight night cards. And the idea being that we're moving you up and then you graduate to being yourself a pay-per-view draw. And that was kind of the old way it used to work, right? And the old way was like basically ultimate fighter to UFC fight night events when they do those Wednesday ones to pay-per-view and it was, it's a pretty good system because it's like we get you used to watching these people for free. You get invested in their story, who they are, their path, and then you know them well enough. You care about them. You're willing to pay to see their next fight when we get a big one. I guess I, the thing I wonder is, are you still getting good enough viewership and people retaining anything of what they see on these JSF fight night cards for that to still work? Yeah. Because you're right. Like when you see somebody like Tatiana Suarez, you're like, this is somebody that you should be paying attention to and uh, a potential real player in the division who you should care about. Um, but is it just, is she lost in the wash of just so much content yeah. that it does it actually work that way? Well, and I mean, that's a question that we've been asking since the Fox era, right? Is that if you, if you cut a link in the chain of the normal progression to being a pay-per-view draw, does it still work? I guess my answer to the question is that it seems to maybe above or beyond all expectation. It seems like the UFC is still able to make these fighters known quantities and to 
interest, the viewership that it does have and seeing them move up the rankings. I'm not totally sure how it still works, but it, it seems that it still does. And, you know, not to just keep beating the same dead horse, but at this point with the, the payment plan from ESPN Plus where the UFC gets these guaranteed licensing fees, I mean, I don't necessarily know that it matters all that much. Eventually, you do need to have recognizable, bankable, saleable fighters to have in your main events to sell the pay-per-views. But for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to have a hard time manufacturing those people. It hasn't made a full-on mainstream crossover star in quite some time. But it does seem like within the bubble to be able to make these people... Uh, known quantities that that at least MMA fans do want them to watch, do, do want to see watch. Do they do they do want to watch? Is what Got I it. was trying to say. I feel like a point came across. Yeah, Tatiana Suarez is a minus seven fifty favorite. Montana De La Rosa, her opponent, plus five fifty in this fight. So you can see who the odds makers think is going to win. Those are some steep odds for a person we haven't seen fight in three and a half years. Yeah. That's that is honestly longer than longer odds than I was expecting for this one. And then you I mean, go is ahead. That, is that is that sprinkle territory? You feeling like a yeah. sprinkle here? No, it is. I can sprinkle that on top of a parlay just to sweeten the deal. Uh, and it is. And Nikita Krilov is the slight minus one sixty five favorite against Ryan Spann, who is plus one forty. In case you're scoring at home, but it's just smacks of a week before UFC two eighty five fight card, right? Just like yeah. who else we got lying around. Who's not fighting on the pay-per-view that can show up early, a week early, uh, for the fight night event that we will use largely just to show commercials for the pay-per-view? Yep. Better not have anybody kissing in those commercials, though. <laughs> God, I hope out. not. Ugh, woke mind virus taking over the UFC. All right, let's do Just Saying Stuff, Ben, and then we will get out of here for this week. Ben, this week, I'm just saying uh, we need to get Bryce Mitchell into a less dangerous line of work. Man, uh, he just continually seems to be hurting himself. I was looking at bloody elbow this week. Uh, Bryce Mitchell had a three inch long wooden splinter stuck in the middle of his hand. He said okay. he, tr- he tried to get it out himself. Couldn't had to go to the emergency room or at least urgent care to get it taken out. The doctor did it. He says that splinter like three inches long. I tried to cut it out myself and almost passed out. It was buried in my hand. Doc just got it. I will always wear gloves from now on. Uh, and the fight's still on. I ain't no bitch. So if you were worried about him pulling out of his fight, uh, he's not going to do that. He will still fight. He has posted a rather gruesome set of pictures here of himself getting the, uh, getting the splinter taken out of his hand. But man, I'm just saying maybe, maybe we could find him something in an office, some, something in data entry or uh coding. Perhaps it's just like he, every time I turn around, this is Bryce Mitchell's hurt, hurt on the job somehow and doing some physical labor. We just, let's get him something else, man. Let's get him something safer where we're not going to have to worry about his, his physical well-being. I'm just saying. Well, I mean, accidents can always happen. It seems like the thing you're not really talking about is the time he mangled his testicles with a power drill. I mean, that's I've, that's that's the it's this isn't the splinter like, thing isn't the first time. That's what I'm saying. He keeps hurting himself. Let's find himself something else to do so his hand and his testicles do not continue to get mangled, Ben. That's what I I'm feel saying. Like that's not like a lightning bolt finding its way across the universe and zapping you in the teeth when you're on the golf course. That's user error, my guy. Yeah, that's why we need to put him in a safer environment so there's less opportunity for him to hurt himself. He'll he'll find a way. Don't you worry. He'll find a way to hurt himself. Jed, I'm just saying, 
don't know if you saw this news coming across here. Uh, it's on Aljamain Sterling versus Henry Cejudo. Woo. UFC 288 on May 6th. We're going to do it for the UFC bantamweight title. And I guess I'm just saying, you know what? If you're Aljamain Sterling and you're going to fight Henry Cejudo, arguably on paper, according to his accomplishments, one of the greatest combat sports athletes of all time. This is when you want to do it. When the guy's been gone for a few years, eating good sometimes from the look of it, uh, getting really into custom pillows. Yeah. Very, very invested in custom pillows. Um, And then has been wanting to come back, going to jump right into a title fight after all this time away. That's when you want to fight Henry Cejudo and maybe get the Henry Zahudo name on your resume. That's when you have the best chance against him. Uh, the guy who walked away on top saying, call me when you're ready to pay me some money, and the UFC went, well, bye. <laughs> so long. Don't don't waste too much. Don't waste a nice day inside waiting by the phone, you know? And then he went, one like, and I'll return to the UFC, hit like himself on the post, and then was like, all right, I'm back. <laughs> Basically, and then was like trying to beg his way back, basically, gets in, gets this title shot. Um, now's the time. Now is yeah. the time to fight him. Not yeah. after he's had that one or two to get back in it. Not when he was on top and he walked away, certainly. Now. Fight him now. Yeah. Just saying. Did we book this when Dana White was out of the office for a day? Because he hasn't seemed to want too much to do with uh, quadruple C over there. Yeah, no, he was playing blackjack, and then he came in the next day and was like, so what, do we we do any more business yesterday? After? And they were like, yeah, yeah, you know, we set up uh, site fees to go to uh, Toyota Center, uh, you know, got the slap guys all signed up. Uh, Henry Cejudo's going to back for a title. And then he's like, what? what you, uh, no, nothing. Just just Henry Cejudo's he's fighting for the Bantamweight title. Um, but nothing. Don't even worry about it, boss. You know, yeah. it's all under control. He's a hot new kid off the Contender Series. You're going to love him. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for the co-main event podcast this week. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, we're over at the Patreon page all week long. We'll be doing content over there. You can get in for as little as $1. That gets you into the uh, the live chat on Wednesday. So go to patreon.com slash co-main event and join the team over there. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Man, if you had to guess, how many future presidents would you say signed the Declaration of Independence? Three. It's actually only two. Only two future presidents signed the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson, he of the bird named Dick, and John Adams. So there you go just two future presidents i thought it would have been more uh can we start a punk band called bird named dick <laughs> did you know that in 1860 abraham Link- abraham lincoln ran for president with the campaign slogan vote yourself a farm referring to the republican party's promise to support legislation granting free homesteads to settlers of the western frontier hmm. yeah, you know for- what I, I think that's actually a good strategy I'll vote myself a farm right now if you give me a chance. Four years later, during the Civil War, he ran for re-election with the slogan, Don't Swap Horses in the Middle of the Stream. Well, okay. Did you know that in 1886, Grover Cleveland took 21-year-old Francis Folsom as his wife, making him the first president to be married in the White House? He also was the first president to have a child born there. 
I'm interested in the phrasing, he took her as his wife. Yeah, 21-year-old Francis Folsom. I would have had no idea how old Grover Cleveland was at the time, but probably older than 21 is my guess. Man, she's on there swiping on Tinder and is like, this guy, for the job thing, he puts President of the United States. Girl, there's no way this guy, he's unemployed. <laughs> he's a freelancer. <laughs> In 1867, Andrew Johnson's deal to purchase Alaska from Russia for $7.2 million was initially mocked, but has since proven to be a monumental bargain for the nation. Yeah, I feel like jury's still out on that. That seems like editorializing to me to say that about Alaska, but uh, but I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, it's President's Day. Happy President's Day, everybody. You know you're going to get some presidential trivia here on the Co-Main Event Podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next year. We're done.